Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode. You know it's not smart? Using FaceTime in a movie theater. You know it is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large at Recode. You may know me as the person who does tech support for Donald Trump, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Matt Cutts, the acting administrator of the U.S. Digital Service. It's part of the executive branch that describes itself as the tech startup working to deliver better services to the American people. Matt previously worked at Google for 17 years, where I knew him. Um, where he led the team that fought against spam. Matt, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you so much for having me. So you need to clear some things up. I just was talking to you before this. I, I want to understand what acting means and where we are, because you came to—explain your history. You, you First you were at Google, and then we'll yeah. get into that. So Sure. I was at Google for a long time, mm-hmm. and in June of— So 20, 17 years. So you got there right at the start. A month short of 17 years. So right. got the job offer in 1999. Right, Started early. January 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting to see a bunch of people become departments, mm-hmm. which is sort of unusual to see right. a startup grow that way. Right. Um, where but, had you been before that? Uh, I was actually in grad school mm-hmm. before that, working on my PhD. Mm-hmm. So— in fact, wrote them, and I was I wrote to Google like jobs at Google, and I was like, "How much do you all pay?" Oh, really? Yeah, and they were like, "Well, we don't discuss that unless you're a job candidate." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And I went back to my PhD, mm-hmm. and like three or four days later, they wrote back, and they're like, "Well, would you like to be a job candidate?" Oh, wow! Yeah, it was small enough; they still cared yeah. about you know each anyone individual that wrote, person. Anyone that wrote, pretty That's much, right. pretty much. Uh, so, spent a long time as head of Google's web spam team, so mm-hmm. trying to protect Google search results. And why did you start with that? Was that that was your PhD? Was on it? No, my PhD was computer graphics. Graphics mm-hmm. related stuff, but uh-huh. um, got started in that because I wrote Safe Search, which mm-hmm. is the first version of Google's Family Filter. Mm-hmm. So I had been at Google for about two or three months, and somebody, my manager, actually walked up to my cubicle and said, "Hey, Matt, how do you feel about pornography?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, that depends. <laughs> Why do you want to know?" <laughs> um, and, and she said, "Well, we need to sell a family safe version of Google." Right. And so the first project I worked on was really that. Uh-huh. And it was because I had worked on Safe Search that I saw a spammer who was able to rank highly for a search they weren't able to rank. Mm -hmm. So for years at Google, it was a little bit lonely to say, hey, you know, Larry, Sergey, it's possible to spam Google because back then people didn't really think that was even possible. Right, right. So the work on Family Filter and Safe Search led to being head of the Google's website. So explain team. what that was, what the head of, because it's, it's an enormous job. It's an, it is, just because Google gets billions of queries a day. So right. um, the beauty of it is you had this fantastic team of engineers and mm-hmm. also people who could manually remove spam from Google search results. And uh, and so you'd, you'd have a new monthly index, because at that point, Google only updated once right. a month. they did. You'd scrub it as, as clean as you could, and then you'd put it out for the world to see, and you'd right. see what they complained about. Uh, and so coming up with the Explain algorithms... Explain what scrub it is me, so people didn't... Oh, so, you know, for example, you might run a bunch of queries before the rest of the world could see it and mm-hmm. say, okay... Who are, who are the sites that don't seem to be good actors in this? Right. You know, are they getting spammy backlinks? Are they signing guest books? All right. this kind of stuff. Right. And so trying to find the techniques that the bad guys, the black hats, would use to rank highly. Right. Get ahead of that. And uh, it's pretty interesting. If you look at on LinkedIn, 
the category search engine optimization has something like 2 million people that list that mm-hmm. SEO as a skill. Right. But, you know, search engine optimization was not really a well-known it thing back then. Right. So our, te- our team of engineers and spam fighters just tried to keep – you know, people who are cheating from ranking high. And the reason being is it creates a crappy result. That's exactly right. You know, we trusted our editorial judgment and editorial, you know, you could you could argue about how to define that better than someone who just, you know, figured out how to cheat. Right. They shouldn't rank highly. Right, absolutely. And so, and, and it also ruined the experience of Google because the whole exposure should be results that you were getting for the results you wanted, essentially. Right. If you type in prostate cancer and you got, you know, pornography or you got debt consolidation, right. you would stop using that search engine. So right. it, it was a competitive advantage to mm-hmm. be, you know, able to reduce spam. Right, which people don't realize. It was fascinating that you got the result you got. It was such a simple idea, but it's difficult to do. So you ran the spam team for those 17 years, for the entire 17 years? No. I started it, well, I actually actually spent a year in the ads group, mm-hmm. um, but started in quality in Google in about 2001 mm-hmm. and started the spam group up about 2004 and mm-hmm. ran it uh, until I stepped away and took a, a leave of absence in about 2015 or so. Right. And so how did you get to the U.S. Digital Service? So you're here. This was to do this. Well, it's kind of funny. I My wife had said, why don't we do, you know, four or five years in California with this crazy Google thing? Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. And then after 15 years or so, she was like, wait a second, weren't we going to have some fun? Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, you're right. Uh, You were very nice to be willing to move to California. Why don't we go anywhere you want to go next? I thought she might say New York or Seattle Mm -hmm. or London. And she said Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Because that's where her family lives. Right. Because they're Air Force. Um, So we spent about a year in Omaha, Nebraska. And after a year of Omaha summers and winters, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this thing in D.C. for a few months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I signed up for a three-month tour, and that was almost exactly two years ago. Right. And so the tour was to do what? It was to— So— I actually started Explain a, the tours that, that yeah. kept people come to government. And this is during the Obama administration, correct? I started during the Obama administration. Right. Um, but the idea that the U.S. Digital Service does is people come for a limited tour of duty, you know, six months, a year, up to two years. And then you can renew for up to two more years. Right. Um, but the idea is you want to get people who are fresh out of industry. They really understand industry best practices. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you don't want them to, you know, go and get their incentives misaligned or, or to situate themselves in government forever. So the idea is they come, they work as hard as they can, they push things forward as much as they can, and then they rotate out and they hand the baton on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a system that's worked very well. And um, it was started. Give the background of how. Sure. The, the famous beginnings for the U.S. Digital Service was healthcare.gov. So right. every, everybody remembers when that website fell over, caught mm-hmm. on fire, shrapnel went everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the things that helped were – SRE, site reliability engineering practices that were widespread in industry. Things Mm -hmm. like, how do you monitor that your website is up? How do you do root cause analysis? Mm -hmm. And so the process of doing that and iterating on that, and and by the way, that was before my time. That was, you know. That was a Googler who came in. Mikey Dickerson and a whole bunch of other really dedicated people. Mm -hmm. Um, But the fact that they were able to get that website back up really kind of demonstrated that you might have a signature policy proposal, but unless you had. People who are working on it currently. Absolutely. It was so interesting. I was on one of those TV talk shows, I think it was uh, this morning, whatever, the the weekly, the the Sunday one. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, I said, you know, it's really astonishing that that didn't work. I mean, 
Tinder works, does matches every day, like it, millions of matches, more than millions, tens of millions of matches every day. And they said, are you comparing the government to Tinder? And I go, no, Tinder works. So, <laughs> so and they know how, how to run a, a scalable site. It's not unlike, it's a matching system. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, I mean, I'm not as technical, but I'm like, I'm pretty certain <laughs> yeah. Tinder works and the government doesn't. So I'm going for, with Tinder to run to run to healthcare.gov. Well, and it's it's super interesting that you, mm-hmm. I, I will say there are a ton of really dedicated civil servants mm-hmm. who are trying to do the right thing yeah. and are not always able to do it for various reasons. Yeah. Um, but bringing in some of these industry best practices, design, user-centered design, technology, really can make a difference in, in training Absolutely. around Absolutely. And systems. so what were you working on first? What was the first? I got a call. I started at the Pentagon mm-hmm. for six months, and I got right. a call from Chris Lynch, who's the head of the Defense Civil Service, and he said, hey, Matt. And they've been fast forward on a lot of this stuff, the Defense yeah, Department. They've been doing some great among stuff. Among the different cabinets. Absolutely. No, they and the chain of command is also good because mm-hmm. if the secretary says we're doing this, everybody falls in line immediately. Right. Um, but he, Chris Lynch called me and he said, hey, Matt, if you start a week early, we're going out to Afghanistan. Would you mm-hmm. like to join us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I walked out of the study in Omaha where I was to where my wife was in the living room. And I said, let me say that back to you. If I start – one week early, I, I can go to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And my wife was like, immediate thumbs up, yeah, you yeah, know, re- ready to go for it. Yeah. Uh, so it started looking at the kinds of things that soldiers are running into downrange, you know, the sorts of real problems that they mm-hmm. have. And uh, the team at the Defense Total Service does everything from flying into bases outside of, you know, St. Louis, Missouri to revive databases to trying to help service members and their families whenever they're moving across the country. So mm-hmm. there's a wide variety of technical problems that need to be solved. Right. Absolutely. And then you did that for a short, for how long? Uh, so it was coming up on December of 2016. And after the election happened, they said, you know, the the administrator of the U.S. Digital Service is currently a presidential appointee position. Mm-hmm. And so they said, um, Mikey Dickerson, the first administrator, needs to resign on Inauguration Day. So we need someone who will keep the U.S. Digital Service running and, and performing good work. And so they asked if I would be the director of engineering, who would then be next in line to take over after Mikey resigned. Mm-hmm. And so now you're acting. Why are you acting, administrator? I'm acting point? because I have not been presidentially appointed. But And why not? Uh, you know, you're going to try really hard not to answer too many political questions, but I don't understand why that hasn't been appointed it's two years later. Well, uh, from my point of view, like— we're getting good work done, so I'm really mm-hmm. not that concerned about it. Like, right. I, I'm happy to add acting in front of the title because mm-hmm. as long as good things are happening, that's all that really all right, matters. We're going to go into that, but I want to understand. So there, so you're the acting administrator of the digital server. And I want to understand how many people are involved mm-hmm. in the program. That, that is ongoing. It's ongoing since the Obama yeah. administration. It mm-hmm. hasn't been impacted. There's same numbers and, and things like that. That's right. So we're 175 people, which right. is about the same size that we were right towards the end of 2016. All right. So And they're all scattered throughout the government, right, in every agency? Or? Not every agency. Okay. So the way that we work is we're about half and half between— like a SWAT team more than anything? A little bit of a SWAT team, but also sticking around to not just put out fires, but also help improve the fire code in right. some cases. Sure. So about half of us are in the Office of Management and Budget, which mm-hmm. is in the executive office of the president. Mm-hmm. And about half are hired directly into agencies, mm-hmm. Veterans Affairs, Department of Defense, Homeland Security, you know, Health and Human Services. So we are in about six or seven different agencies, and then mm-hmm. we also do shorter-term engagements. All right, and and everybody is in the midst of their different things. They didn't move necessarily. They just they keep getting renewed, correct, mm-hmm. into into the U.S. Digital Service. Uh, yeah, in fact, we've had over 100 people start since the election. So mm-hmm. over half of the people in the U.S. Digital Service have started after the election. After the election, how do you recruit them? Because uh, I, 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 I'd imagine it is a more difficult 
task in this administration or not, or not at all? Well, I, the, we recruit them just reminding everybody we're here to help the American people, and mm-hmm. it's about the mission and the purpose and the impact that people mm-hmm. can have. So what we see over and over again is we'll ask somebody to come out for three, four, six months, and they'll end up staying for a year, a year and a half, or two years. Because mm-hmm. once you see the kinds of projects that you can work on, you're like, okay, that's more impactful than a dog walking startup or a laundry, you know, right. startup. So right, right, right. And, and your stay. job is to recruit them into it, correct? Mm-hmm. You have more people trying to get in than you – because a lot of people felt like when the administration shifted from Obama to Trump that the Silicon Valley people wouldn't want to come in. It has always been a hard sell to get people to move across the country. Sometimes Because it's largely a, from California, right? Or, or is it from across the country? We have put a lot of work into trying to recruit from uh, elsewhere. From elsewhere. So, yeah. for example, our next big roundtable is in Michigan. And mm-hmm. we've been – we're going to Phoenix next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, moving across the country, taking a drug test, mm-hmm. possibly taking a pay cut if you're a high-paid software and engineer. And also all the different filings. Yeah, you have to do a lot of paperwork to join. This is mm-hmm. all true. But once you get on board, you're able to help, like, doctors and, you know, improve Medicare and make it more robust. And mm-hmm. so that is a really rewarding thing to work on. Mm-hmm. So now, is it, is it going to grow further than 175, or is it just the bu- in the budgetarily? It's it's protected now. We are, we are really – we have historically not been constrained by budget. We have been constrained by finding people who we can get in, who meet our hiring bar, who are highly qualified – um, who then can move to D.C. And, and tackle interesting problems. And who do you report to? You report to who? I report to Margaret Weikert, who's the deputy director for management of the Office of Management Budget. I see. So you're within that thing. Mm-hmm. But you, how? explain the difference because a lot of people usually looked at the CTO or the chief science officer. How how are you? How do you interface with them? Because they are also doing various initiatives. Absolutely. So it, well, there, the, Let me just be clear. Yeah. There isn't one of either right now for <laughs> two years. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, you don't have to insult the Trump administration, but the fact that they don't have a chief science officer alone. They should have one. CTO, that's up to them um, because that was a new thing that the Obama administration did. But a chief science officer to me seems critical. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of technology. I've, I've seen the ability. <laughs> yeah. my, my dad was a physics professor. I like professor. science. Science you can is say cool. That. that shouldn't uh, be a controversial thing to say. Well, it, it is interesting. So there's the Office of Science and Technology Policy, right. which which helped create the U.S. Digital Service. It did. That's why. Um, uh, and has been a fantastic organization. Um, but we are really within the Office of Management Budget. So right. we're a separate group. There right. are lots of different groups. There's one group called 18F. Go um, explain that. So 18F sits in the General Services Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, they're slightly different because they tend to be – so 18F they're is – similar. There's, they are similar. Right. Um, 18F typically doesn't require people to move to D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also cost recoverable. So, for example, if a system goes down, U.S. Digital Service can fly in the next day to try to help get that system up. Right. Sometimes it might take a little longer to do an interagency agreement or mm-hmm. memorandum of understanding, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So there's lots of different ways to serve the government right now and right. serve the American people So there's that government. organization. What else would be? Uh, in addition to 18F, there's the Technology Transformation Service. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of a broader umbrella within the General Services Administration. There's also the Presidential Innovation Fellows, or mm-hmm. PIFs. So that's more like a single person parachutes in and tackles a hard problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've even seen um, there's sort of a fellowship called Coding It Forward, which is some people have joked that it's like USTS Junior, which mm-hmm. is people who are often you know in college or, or earlier in their career, and they'll come in and do an internship as well. Mm-hmm. And who in this administration is 
is pushing this stuff. It's Jared Kushner, correct, initially? There is a lot of stuff happening with the Office of American Innovation, and mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting Chris things— Chris Liddell in, had led that, but now he's deputy chief of staff. That's right. That's right. Chris Although he's from Microsoft. Chris, that's right. And Chris still keeps an eye and, and talks regularly to people like the federal CIO, Suzette Kent, mm-hmm. who has fantastic instincts and has mm-hmm. also been leaning in to change policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the Office of American Innovation was sort of an umbrella group that brought together a lot of these different folks, mm-hmm. although all of the efforts of each of these folks also continues independently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you uh, – so you coordinate with just the Office of Management and bu- Budget, correct? That's, That's primarily where we sit. Um, but we do have that dotted line at the White House if we need it in mm-hmm. order to, like, you know, urge someone to do something. But we have found that while the first years of the U.S. Digital Service, the story was about trying to establish the group – um, one thing that we found is if we can be better partners and collaborators mm-hmm. um, with these agencies, with the agencies, the longer we've been at agencies, the in general, the more need we see from those agencies and the more trust and credibility and willingness to work together. All right. We're going to talk about that and more with Matt Cutts. He's the acting administrator of the U.S. Digital Service. Yes, people, there are still geeks in government uh, no matter what. Uh, and we'll get we're back. We're going to talk about what that means of cooperating with the cabinets and what's needed. Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe. It's important to protect your home with a home security system. But how many home security companies say, how can we protect your home and your privacy? That's what I love about Simply Safe. They obsess over details like no one else. Here's an example Simply Safe has a camera you can control from your phone, but they want to protect your home and your privacy, so they came up with this brilliant idea a privacy shutter for their camera. They spent months and months testing different metals and hinge designs. The result, an effective home security camera with a thin, lightweight aluminum privacy shutter that will work every time. It's that kind of attention to detail that sets Simply Safe apart and keeps your family safe. Simply Safe isn't just home security, it's home security done right. Check out Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com/decode. That's simplysafe.com/decode to learn more about Simply Safe today. SimplySafe.com/decode. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media, with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? Kara, you're going to love this conversation. You know why? Because you are a smart person with an avid interest in technology and media. That's why you're doing this podcast. Um, I talked to someone who's exactly like you, Eugene Way, early Amazon employee, product guy, Flipboard product guy, Hulu product guy at Oculus, uh, really big brain, um, wrote an essay that went viral a little while ago explaining the sort of limits and challenges that Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook all face. He's a really smart dude, and he spent an hour talking with me, and you can listen to it for free. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're here with Matt Cutts. He's the acting administrator of the U.S. Digital Service. It's a branch of government that essentially the geek squad, essentially, right? Is that <laughs> yeah, how you, how you sure. look at it? So talk about that. You know, getting, initially it was started in the Obama administration. Um, it has 175 people spread throughout government and within the Office of Management and Budget. Um, explain what they're doing, like how you think about what they're doing, because you talked about them get, getting people used to it. Now, each of these agencies also have their own technical staffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most so we, of them not very great. Like not the people, but it, like they slow to change. In well, terms there's, there's great people in in every right. branch of government, and every agency. Technical people. I'm um, talking about technical. Not gonna just, well, and and you do see technical people, but sometimes um, they might not be uh, situated or empowered in order to be able to at get the good table. Work done. It's called. They're sure. not at the table. They're sure. afterthought. 
Um, the U.S. Digital Service does a wide spectrum of projects. Everything from a system has gone down, like the OPM breach that happened a few years ago, mm-hmm. or you know, a visa processing system at the State Department, or a database that helps people sign up for boot camp. Um, so we do do those firefighting things, but we also do longer-term engagement. So, for example, if you're a veteran mm-hmm. and you want to access your healthcare benefits. Um, it can be really tricky to navigate over 500 different websites, over 1,000 different toll-free numbers. Yes. And so we made a website. It's called vets.gov, and it's a single one-stop shop where you can sort of discover, apply, track, and manage your benefits. Mm-hmm. So everything from you know short-term engagements to— What happened to all the other sites? They just went away? Uh, we have been actually working with a lot of those sites, and we're we're looking at whether it might be possible to merge some of the goodness from vets.gov onto va.gov so it's mm-hmm. more broadly available mm-hmm. because that's the first thing that yeah. everybody thinks of. I was just searching for a Social Security thing. It was possible. Yeah, <laughs> the, the amount of confusion and, and also bringing— No answers, a lot of words. Well, bringing user-centered design and also plain language mm-hmm. is a huge difference because it's not just technology. Like design makes a really big difference Absolutely. and making systems more usable and more understandable. So you go – so for example, VA, go ahead. Keep going. With sure. Uh, so I'll give you one quick example. One is if you were uh, – suppose a veteran is trying to get her health care benefits. Mm-hmm. It turned out you need to have the right version of Internet Explorer mm-hmm. and it had to be Internet Explorer. Mm-hmm. And you had to have the right version of Adobe Acrobat. Right. And if you had the wrong version, it would say, sorry, you need to upgrade your version of Adobe Acrobat. Which is always my favorite. Which is always your favorite thing to do, except you actually needed to downgrade your Mm -hmm. version of Adobe Acrobat. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, only 8% of veterans were able to apply for healthcare online. Mm -hmm. And when they filled out the the paper version of that form, the average wait time is 137 days. Mm -hmm. So we deployed what I like to joke is a crazy, revolutionary, world-changing technology that we call a web form. Mm It's responsive, so it works on mobile phones. It's accessible, so it works with screen readers. And 50% of veterans using this online form Mm -hmm. get their information, their yes or no verdict back within 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So 137 days to 10 minutes Mm -hmm. just by putting up a web form. Mm -hmm. There's lots of examples like that. Um, Everything from introducing bug bounties into the Pentagon to um, one really good change we had that launched last week, which is a, a policy change about continuous glucose monitoring, Mm -hmm. just all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So when you think about doing this, what's the um, pushback from the the government itself? Only because it's just, it's just, it's an astonishing array of bad websites, bad accessibility. When I don't joke when Tinder works. I mean, Mm -hmm. most people have very easy experiences with their consumer apps and they're easy to use and most people can use them. Mm -hmm. You don't need a level of like uh, tech education to be able to use Facebook or Instagram or anything, any of these consumer things. And I know it's such an easy way, easy comparison, but it's not. It's If you're able to use all these things easily, mm-hmm. you should be able to use government services easily. What are the problems in getting these cabinets to make these changes? I or think, these agencies, I guess. Really? Yeah, it, it's interesting because if you take a look at the secretary of the VA versus mm-hmm. maybe a nurse at a VA facility, right. there can be up to 17 layers between mm-hmm. that nurse and the secretary. Right. And so on one hand, it's very hard for information to make its way up. Mm-hmm. And so one thing we can do is we can go and talk to that nurse or talk to that soldier and then be talking to the secretary of VA or defense the next day. So mm-hmm. one superpower is just the ability to get find the truth and tell the truth is, right. what, is what we call it. Um, but it's also interesting because sometimes just inertia comes mm-hmm. into play. And, uh, you know, there are fantastic, dedicated, passionate civil servants who might not be able to get the right thing done because 
you know, they just face a lot of different kinds of adversity. And so coming in, hopefully with air cover and being able to say, here is an independent view and here's why this person who already was situated at an agency and had a great idea should be empowered to make sure that that idea moves forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it's true that it is sometimes hard to get things done in government, but that's not because there aren't great people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often just, uh, you know, maybe something has been tried before and it didn't quite work. And so... I joke that um, one of the roles of the U.S. Digital Service is to absorb risk. Mm -hmm. It's to take things that look risky and then by implementing them, show them, oh, this isn't that risky. It's been done in in industry for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. So talk about like the the, – I want to talk about more of the challenges because one of the things that should have been digitized is the government services much Mm -hmm. long ago. Talk – what are the – is it just government or what is the actual challenges you face? Is it individual uh, agencies are different? Talk about one that works well. Like who's super open to these kind of changes? Well, one of the things that's been really interesting is the VA. They Mm -hmm. have actually been leaning in in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways to try to make changes. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet at the same time, there is a lot of accumulated history. And one of the the challenges you face in government is – is simply around risk. Right. Um, nobody wants to be the person who's responsible for a system going horribly wrong right. uh, and then having to go in front of testify in front of Congress. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of mechanisms to try to take that risk and disperse it, manage it, you know, try to say we did everything that we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that you get to better solutions. It just means right. that there's no one to point to when the system goes down. Right. So I remember talking to Mikey Dickerson uh, about healthcare.gov and he said, look, I was happy to be the scapegoat, the person that everybody could point to and say, oh, it didn't work because what did I have to lose? Right. So he just came in and he said, I suggest we do this. I suggest we do that. And over time was able to help get the site working again along with a great team of people and several contractors who were, were helping as well in a war room. So having someone who comes in and says, okay, here's the technical reason why you should do something and we are willing to absorb the risk and we're willing to say this is the right thing to do from a technical perspective, mm-hmm. that can sometimes avoid re- relitigating a lot of battles and, and get you to a better place. And what are the areas that, that when it, someone goes in, so someone goes in to do something, um, to ident- one of the things is identifying problems, not just be putting out fires, like right. what the bigger problems. How, yeah. do, how does a digital service person go in when you're not doing the fire, like this broke, yeah. fix, my, fix my iPhone kind sure. of thing? Uh, we do a thing called a discovery sprint. So we'll get you know a designer or a user researcher, an engineer, a product manager, um, maybe a bureaucracy hacker, mm-hmm. and um, and that's a, that's a thing. Yeah, we we now call them strat ops, mm-hmm. but uh, one of their goals is to help people get around and navigate mm-hmm. through bureaucracy and figure out how to get through red tape. And so over time, as we have done well at say the Department of Defense. We will have a two- or three-star general show up and say, you know what, I would love for you to kick the tires on this payroll system. Mm -hmm. Or I would love for you to tell me what's going wrong with this ground control system so that we can talk to satellites and have it be robust and reliable. Mm -hmm. And so we'll do a discovery sprint. We'll take a couple weeks. We'll fly in. We'll talk to as many of the stakeholders as we can. We'll get as much truth. A a little like McKinsey, but uh, oof. Not that much like McKinsey, <laughs> but, but we're also inside. We're, like we're also we're, – we're federal employees, and so mm-hmm. we have no dog in the fight. You know, we are offering an independent mm-hmm. view. And then we'll hand that up as a discovery sprint report. So, for example, um, if you're a farmer and you want to hire seasonal workers, there's this type of visa called H-2A. Mm-hmm. And so we came in and said, you know, is there a way to improve – how this process works. We handed right. off a report and um, sometimes you can see entire projects get kicked off just on the basis of those reports that say, oh, here's something that makes no sense whatsoever. Can this be changed? Right. 
And that's really gratifying to see. Right, right. And in terms of where it has the power has to come from, does it have to come from the agency heads or how does it – how do you impose yourselves on them? So we have found a couple things. One is that if there is an urgent need, so mm-hmm. something is on fire, mm-hmm. then usually everybody's willing to clear Throw out all yeah, the yeah, obstacles. Yeah, that really helps. Yeah, come in here and fix this. Um, other than that, building trust and credibility over time helps a lot, you know, taking things the slow way. Having uh, air support, executive support at the agency level is definitely helpful. And we have in the past occasionally used White House uh, support as well to say, you might not like these people who are going to show up, but please listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're willing to use whatever tools we need to to make the right things happen. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, when you deploy them, what do you – I want to talk about in the next section, the last section, about what the biggest problems are. But I want to make sure people understand how that works. When you um, when you go into these things, if you're seen as temporary, how do the people that exist there in technology look at you? Because you're coming in and telling them they're stupid, really. In some um, no, we're not trying to. Right, we're, okay. we're, we have found it's very helpful if we collaborate and, you know, try to act as partners. So mm-hmm. one of the first instincts that somebody might have is, oh, is this an auditor? And so one of the things that we, one of our core values is create momentum. Right. So rather than just write a report, we have occasionally said, okay, this military recruiting system is not working the way that you'd like it to. Mm-hmm. What if we just leave an engineer behind mm-hmm. and he can work on, you know, trying to get this system to talk to that system. And mm-hmm. th- that helps to differentiate ourselves right, a little bit. Right, you're fixing a problem. That's right. right. Um, and so, um, in general, the, the more that we can be helpful, the more that we can say, here's a problem we're trying to help you solve together. You know, so it's not an adversarial thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, that is when it becomes more productive. That's mm-hmm. when we're able to get better results. Right. When that happens... What's a disaster scenario? Because one of the things I, I do, I have talked to a lot of people in the government, they, is the unwillingness to change or mm-hmm. and that they can wait you out, like yeah, kind of thing. They, they absolutely can. And right. we have found as we do longer term engagements, that sort of concern drops away because people are like, well, these folks working on vets.gov, they're not going anywhere. They are, mm-hmm. you know, going to see it through. And so those right. concerns drop away. Right. You occasionally see somebody who's like, okay, well, I can just wait you out. But for the most part... Um, if you're getting good work done and trying to, like, make sure that credit goes to the agency and the employees mm-hmm. where the ideas are coming from, right. uh, we have found pretty good collaboration. Now, it is always possible that somebody will just radically disagree with you. We've, right. we've had a couple reports, one I can think of just in the last week, where we mm-hmm. said, here's what we think the best approach is. And the agency's like, hmm, thanks very much, but no thank you. Right. Um, and, you know, we've got enough stuff to work on. We don't right. feel like we have to— Why would they say not? They just don't agree with your approach. They might disagree with the approach or the, the you know, the technical assessment that we came up with, and that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, reasonable people can disagree, and I'm sure there's been many times when the as, as you were at Google, people say we're going to go this way or that way. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but— um, that's okay because we have a lot of projects that we need to work on. And so we're happy to drop off a report, say we think that the way you're doing it is wrong. If we were wrong in a couple of years, we will show up and buy you a drink and mm-hmm. say, great job. Yeah. Um, and if in a couple of years something is still going wrong, then we're happy to show up then and, and see if we can help at that point. All right. We're here with Matt Cutts. He's the acting administrator of U.S. Digital Service. When we get back, I want to talk about the sort of the intractable problems of making government digital uh, because I think government should be completely digital, but that's just me uh, when we get back. Today's show is brought to you by OneBlade. A lot of men struggle with shaving. From ingrown hairs to razor burn to just overall skin irritation, it's a painful chore that most men don't enjoy. Now there's a razor that takes the pain out of shaving and makes it an enjoyable experience that you actually look forward to. It's called OneBlade. OneBlade will give you the best shave of your life with no razor burn or ingrown hairs. It's been obsessively engineered to be the optimal tool for performance shaving. 
from the perfect pivot and weight to the finest materials, such as ultra high-grade German stainless steel. It's an heirloom quality razor you can pass down for generations. Each one is hand-assembled and serial numbered. And every one blade is backed by a full 60-day money-back guarantee and a lifetime warranty. So if your family has been asking what you want on Father's Day, give them this URL, onebladeshave.com slash recode. Just for Father's Day, you'll receive a free Yeti Rambler with all razor purchases. Visit onebladeshave.com slash recode. I'd also like to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Every week, we answer your questions about consumer tech and the week's news. This week, I played a VR video game in a mall, if you can believe it. And then I talked about it with my son, Louis Swisher, and our producer, Eric Johnson. Louis, did we have a good time in the mall in the VR? Yes, we had a pirates? great time. We had a great time. What did we do? Uh, we went to the mall. Uh, we went to this VR studio, kind of like the movies. Mm-hmm. And we had a great VR experience, I we're, think. And we're just talking about it on the Shooting podcast. zombies? Shooting skeletons. Shooting skeletons, sorry. Skeleton <laughs> zombies, I mean, All right. really. And, and did you like it, Eric? <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. fun. What was your favorite part? Uh, there was a point where we were being menaced by an obese ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that he was, was blind the, as well, so he could not see us. Oh, he was yeah, blind, yeah. yeah. He was he was flying around, he was spinning around the room. It mm-hmm. was We were running around in VR. It was a good time. It was cool. Was and time. Louis played a lady captain. Yes, right? and I he got did, MVP. He got MVP. He did a great job. And I liked it a lot, incredibly. I liked a video game. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Matt Cutts. He's the acting administrator of the U.S. Digital Service, which sounds sexier than it is. Um, <laughs> it's plenty sexy it's plenty if sexy. you want to make okay. the world better. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with you. Um, talk about the intractable problems facing our government in terms of, of, of that. I mean, sometimes state governments have their own issues, own technology issues. What would you say are the biggest issues to preventing the digitization? Because I think everything should be the way we do. Almost everything should be digitized in a, in a much more it's, – it's an astonishing slowness. Yeah. Is it just because government's slow or what do you what do you, what do you think the biggest problems we face, including around security, around yeah. go through the gamut of them for me? Absolutely. So it, it's pretty interesting because you do see issues, for example, in security uh, bug bounties have been around since 1995. Netscape mm-hmm. invented them and used them first. Right. And the federal government had never done a bug bounty before the U.S. Digital Service brought them into the Pentagon in 2016. Right. Um, but it's, this is finding, but like doing a yeah, program uh, where you pay people to find bugs. That's right. right. That's exactly right. So right. an external security researcher finds a bug, mm-hmm. you pay them money, and they get money, it's and you get basic. more secure. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's kind of table stakes. Right. Break into my house. Right. And so um, here's what I find most funny. I was at a conference, and somebody said, hey, Matt, what do you think the government's policy on blockchain should be? Mm-hmm. And I said, honestly, if we could just get rid of the paper, I would be extremely ecstatic. <laughs> right, um, right. Because of, you know, a large quantity of the stuff that we see is, for example, uh, H-1B visas. You know, millions of pieces of paper, paper are shipped to places, which then does a lottery and then ships all that paper back to the people who uh, lost in the lottery. And so if, if you could just start with a pre-registration phase that was digital mm-hmm. – over and over and over again, we see, you know, veterans' records being paper. We see people who want to sign up for the military being paper. We see people who want to be certified as small businesses 
paper. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of used to seeing these pictures of supervisors' offices with like stacks and stacks up to the ceiling mm -hmm. uh, with applications. Which are unsearchable. Which are unsearchable. And, mm -hmm. and frankly, some people think that they can do better by scanning, you know, or faxing stuff in and, and then that, having an electronic version of that. And the fact is it needs to be digital native from the beginning. That's mm -hmm. how it's searchable. That's how you can really check for errors and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So there is so much good work to be done, high-impact work that can help a regular person, you know, get access to the sort of government services that they need to have. If we can just have more people come to usds.gov slash join and mm -hmm. fill in an application and, and throw a resume in the pile just to continue the conversation about mm -hmm. whether, you know, it might make sense for them to try a, an adventure, a limited mm -hmm. tour of duty within government to see right. if it works for them. Right. Absolutely. So, okay. So paper, what else? Paper is one. Um, policies can take a while to change mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it's important to ask for comments and the public needs to comment. Sure. So, for example, we, we tried a new application, a, a new uh, approach recently at Health and Human Services. Um, so there was a law called MACRA, and mm -hmm. normally you would write the policy for a year, open it up for public comment, and then take one round of comments and then finalize the policy. Yeah. And we said, okay, take that time and divide it into one-fifth and write a draft policy quickly. And then we help them prototype what would be the implications of that? What, what would change if this were the policy for doctors? And then we got feedback, and then we did that policy again and again and again. And mm -hmm. they were able to do five iterations instead of one in a year. And we talked to a civil service at Health and Human Services who said, I never want to go back to the old way again. Right. Just the fact that like you can make policies that end up in a better place. This is one of the best policies I've ever been involved with crafting. Mm -hmm. And that's not even technology. That's just trying to bring, you know, agile practices from industry mm -hmm. into government. Right. All right. So that, what else? Um, if there were ways to change the risk equation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's interesting because there's, there's a lot of people who are not as um, interested in solving the problem so much as how do we deal with the Mitigate. risk. Mitigate, yes, that's, yeah, yeah. That's right. one of them. So you don't want to be in front of a congressional committee. You don't want to be the one that, you know, yeah. I guess nobody got fired for not picking IBM, that that old trope. Yeah, exactly. And, and then just to add on to the pile, one other immediate problem that comes to mind is, is just the fact that um, a lot of small businesses and even large businesses don't know how to participate in the federal contracting ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've, we've – been working on is how do you improve procurement? So mm -hmm. on one hand, it's <laughs> getting more good people. No, actually, we've had good results. I'll tell you a quick story. Right, okay. uh, so one is just getting more businesses to try to participate. You know, you know, you can have a next generation of contractors who are agile and nimble and move quickly and are able to deliver results quickly. But then you also need to help contracting officers mm -hmm. in the federal government write better contracts. Right. So um, we've actually trained up two different classes, two cohorts called, um, you know, contracting officers mm -hmm. about the right way to write contracts. So it's not just time and materials. It's it's things like, you know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll do story points and mm -hmm. we can do them in two-week cycles. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up encoding that into um, digital service certification. So starting in 2022, if you're a contracting officer who works on a digital service project of more than $7 million, mm -hmm. you will need to have this additional certification that makes it more likely that instead of $100 million boondoggles, you'll actually write something where where you could have a small system and iterate quickly and deliver right. something pretty fast. Right, right. And so procurement, what else? Procurement, getting more people in the ecosystem, risk. Um, a lot of people just aren't paying as much attention to 
some of these problems. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's the phrase that software is eating the world, and Mm -hmm. yet people have not gotten around to trying to target, you know, government. And it's not just the federal government. There's stuff at the state level. There's stuff at the city level. Right. You see a lot of great work by uh, nonprofits like Code for America, Mm -hmm. um, but you – it is not necessarily on everybody's radar that there's a ton of great work to do there. Is there a great estate or a city that's doing an amazing job where you look at it? Because a lot of these things – your victories are things that I assume you want to show them that, look, what we did over here at VA, mm-hmm. OFDA over there or whatever, mm-hmm. whoever the agency you're targeting, they might be like, oh, maybe I want some of this. Yeah. And and we do find case studies work really well, mm-hmm. uh, especially mayors. Um, and, and this is getting outside of the U.S. Digital Service, mm-hmm. but mayors are, and town managers are super willing to crib from other folks. Sure. So it's it's not It's called that, iterating. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Remember, you've been and, out of Silicon know, Valley too You've long. seen a good idea. Yeah. So um, it, it's not so much that one particular city leads everybody else, mm-hmm. but it is interesting to see, you know, if Oakland is doing something really savvy, a lot of other people are right. willing to copy that. Right. And we also do see a little bit of a trend where some folks who helped with the U.S. Digital Service Service have helped to stand up things like the Massachusetts Digital Service, the California Digital Service. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great to have a Colorado Digital Service? And right. so you do see this sort of movement where more people are, are realizing there's a lot of great work to do in civic. Life. In civic, thing. but is yeah. there one si- group of people that you can think of where you saw, wow, that was an interesting um, shift? So it is interesting in uh, California, for example. There's uh, things about clearing your court record. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you have did something that sure. was illegal but is no longer illegal. You know, people were thinking, oh, okay, you can you can clear your record. They have started to make that a little bit easier with things like just send somebody a text mm-hmm. and say, yes or no, would you like us to clear your record for you? And mm-hmm. you te- text back yeah, a why, and then somebody can be like, okay, we will take care of the rest of it from here because it's mostly automatable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty inspiring because somebody's life can get that much better if they can get the record expunged so they can right. start to do really sure. good work. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I want to finish talking about sort of how it's operating in a politicized – is it changed a lot from a political point of view? Like the, is, does it feel like you're insulated from that? Because one of the key things is, you know, science shouldn't be political, but it has become. It just has. You know what I mean? Uh, government shouldn't be this political, but it re- everywhere you go, things that were not political – are now political. So I will say the mission and the purpose of the U.S. Digital Services is exactly the same as it was Mm -hmm. before. We're trying to do the most good for the most people who need it the most. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is there's so much work to do Mm -hmm. um, that trying to make these systems work better is a nonpartisan issue. We see support from— It should be. I'm just saying, you know, people come from Silicon Valley, oh, you're liberal. Like, it just feels like every—there's not a thing that hasn't been infected by politics at this point. Well, I, I will tell you, we are able to get great work done. So I, I know somebody might look at the headlines and be like, oh, it might seem counterintuitive to me sitting in, you know, Mountain View or Palo Alto mm-hmm. to think about moving to D.C. Right. What I can tell you is pound for pound, dollar for dollar, we are able to do incredibly impactful and inspiring projects where people hear about it and, and you know, it affects them. It affects their lives. And so if, if anybody's looking for meaning or purpose or to try to make the world a better place, I would actually argue the the technology technology industry with with things like Me Too, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are taking a step back and saying, I joined because I wanted to make the world a better place. Is Mm -hmm. this company really the best place for me? Right. And I I would argue the things that we're working on at the U.S. Digital Service are completely nonpartisan and are really helping a ton of people. Like, Mm -hmm. think about Medicare. That is 55 million Americans. And a startup just isn't going to be able to have that impact, Mm -hmm. at least at the beginning. Mm -hmm. In terms of of making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your pitch? I want to hear your pitch. What is your pitch then if you're going to do that? Because, again, Washington feels like 
swampier than ever, let me just say. It feels like, oh, no way am I coming to this. <laughs> I will say um, what we have found works very well is if we're able to get people to know we're still here, mm-hmm. we are still working on projects that matter, and mm-hmm. we're hiring, and then we can sit down in front of somebody and, and go through the projects and mm-hmm. talk about, you know what? You probably haven't heard about this really interesting success that's going to mean that, you know, doctors get better care. Right. Um, and when people hear about the projects that we're working on, and we have a report to Congress we recently put out on usds.gov, mm-hmm. and when people see the kinds of things that they're – like becoming a U.S. citizen is faster and easier because we help digitize a system called the – a form called the N-400. Right. When, when people realize, oh, you know what? I do know – you know, a veteran. I do know somebody who recently had an encounter with Medicare. Mm-hmm. I do know somebody who's a student. Right. So if you type in any university, Yale University, mm-hmm. Spelman College, um, we worked on something called the college scorecard that mm-hmm. gives people a better idea about whether this is a good college or university to go to. Mm-hmm. And completely unbeknownst to us, last week, uh, a large consumer search engine picked that up. And mm-hmm. so if you go to your favorite search engine and type in Yale University, you'll get information that was collated and combined and processed by the U.S. Digital Service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't have to go to a big company. You, if you're at a big company, you're one of 70,000 employees. If you're on the U.S. Digital Service, you're part of this dedicated team of 175 people who can really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. And so so if people want to do this, again, and you don't think you need, like, the, the, the chief executive talking about this, because I don't think they've talked – like, Obama was that kind of ad for – Come to Silicon, come to DC, so and he was friendly to Silicon Valley. You don't think you need that? We have not. So it's interesting. I, I sometimes go to companies. Does and, Donald Trump know you exist? Uh, Maybe now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the work that we do is so good right. that I'm happy for him to yeah. know. Okay. Uh, either way, but I will He's say that. He's going to call you, tell you to fix his Twitter or something. <laughs> no, I will say that. Um, even going to talk to companies He's good at Twitter, by like the way. Uh, like Microsoft or Adobe yeah, he's me, um, right? has been has been really gratifying. But mm-hmm. the thing that we have found is grassroots. Mm-hmm. So when individuals find out about the U.S. Digital Service, right. that's where they know that they can have an impact. And so right. I'd encourage anybody who, even if you think you might have three to six months to try something new, mm-hmm. just check out USDS.gov. What kind of people do you need? We what are, are you doing f- about blockchain, Matt? <laughs> We're not doing You're any not blockchain. You're not even getting for now. close to blockchain. You, we, just, <laughs> you guys have just figured out web forms. Yeah. Well, I will take web forms and I. Will take converting paper. And, you need to get on the blockchain train, but, my friend. But we are looking for designers. We're looking for engineers. Government. We're looking for product managers. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, people who are a little more experienced in their career, mm-hmm. someone who can sit down with a cabinet secretary and say, your system isn't going to launch the way that you thought it was going yeah. to, but yeah. can also put their hands on the keyboard and actually do a thing. Mm-hmm. So what's the thing? I'm not joking about blockchain. You need to get on that one. But do you feel like government's at least on some of the trends that are critical? You know, I'm less worried about machine learning. I am less worried about artificial intelligence or blockchain. I am more worried about a veteran who calls the VA every single day at 9 a.m. Yep. We talk to him. His name is Charles. Um, and he said the phone lines open up at 8 a.m. So he waits for the phone lines to, to clear out over an hour. And then he calls at 9 a.m. to figure out where he is waiting for his disability claim appeal. Mm-hmm. And all we did was implement a progress bar right. so that he knows where he stands right. out of 100,000 plus veterans. Right. And so even though he knows he might have a two or a two-year wait, you know, mm-hmm. two-and-a-half-year-plus wait, just knowing where you stand yep. in that queue makes you feel heard and 100%. respected and valued. I have to say, it's really, it's an astonishing, just, even just this week I was dealing with a guy and I was sort of like, the, the lack of um, 
responsiveness when I can go on and have a terrible time in United and someone tweets me right back and <laughs> fixes it. It's really, it's a change. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Why don't you have a responsive thing on the Twitter? You know, if, if anybody wants to use customer service on Twitter to improve the government, you know, come talk to us. You should, that would be a great thing. Like, oh, hi, we got your tweet. Like, we'd like to, <laughs> would we sort we'd by like cloud to give you your farm <laughs> subsidy. You could do all kinds of things. Listen, I have gotten so many things solved through Twitter. It sounds crazy. It's totally true. And I, I have as well. And uh, there is so much headroom to improve things in government yeah. right now. Yeah, Amazon could run things better. But, oh, wait, that's, <laughs> that's a political football. It's a, a different story. The post office, like whatever. <laughs> anyway, that, I would, you know, Amazon would get you your benefits to you like immediately. And then also with like a jar of mayonnaise or something like that. Anyway, Matt, this is really great. And you've been a good sport. I mean, but I do think the, the, that our our leaders really do have to embrace this kind of stuff because it, all it does is get in the way of a veteran or gets in the way of a mother who needs her, her food, or, you know, her different things or a single mother. It just gets in the way of everybody who relies on government and everybody does rely on government whether they think they do or not. It's true and I will just say it's been so gratifying to see support on both sides of the aisle as well as from tech companies. So we had mm-hmm. the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, mm-hmm. showed up a couple weeks ago and just oh, did a good. fireside chat. Oh, that's great. You know, so people understand that this is important He's a on, good guy. Uh, around the world. Yeah, yeah. Who would you like to have visit? I'll make them do it. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if I could – so uh, my former employer only allows people to take six months off to yeah. go do a good deed. If they would give 12 months off, I'll that would be fantastic. All right, I'll talk to Sundar about it. <laughs> Sundar, I'm giving you a call about this thing. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. It was great talking to you. Oh, actually, Matt, where can people go? Oh, just usds.gov. Mm-hmm. And if they want to figure out how they can apply, it's usds.gov slash join. Mm-hmm. And I promise you it's super simple. It takes a minute and a half with your browser autocomplete. Right. And all you need is a resume. And you don't. there's no obligation. You can just talk to our recruiters. They will tell you whether it might be a good fit or there's not. There's no carrier pigeons or <laughs> no, we, paper. We're relatively modern in that no regard. No paper. You, we are trying to make the federal government hiring process better as, we, as we can. All right. Great. Thanks, Matt. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps us discover great interviews just like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. <laughs>